0: Sorry. Lights would be fine. No, we'll. Be good. You are ready. You are ready to. Wow. You know we don't want to forget one of the uh, one of the parts of next week is. Is you know it's it's a multifaceted thing to join together in fellowship and celebration, but it's also a time uh, to to bring something. The Bible there was feasts in Israel, and three times a year the people would come up to these special feasts. One of the things God said in those times is you know don't come empty-handed. One of the things we're doing specifically is we've got we incurred a debt as as many people have. Um, We're desiring to pay that debt off. We're we're chipping away at it so. Next week, anything that comes in the form of a of a financial offering is going to go directly to paying off the debt. We want to once again be debt free it's not a huge debt we were, you know at the annual meeting you saw it's it's nothing you know for a church it's nothing very big um, but we don't want to have anything against us we want to be able to be free to to do what God leads <coughs> so um
1: but you know you might be in a
0: situation where you have nothing to, no money to bring you know. Bring a gift. You know, let's let's fill up the storehouses. Even if it's if it's food, if you want to bring some canned foods, we don't have a pantry. But what regularly we have people coming um, just by to say, do you have anything? And so if anything comes in and next week, food or anything else, we'd put that aside and then and look for the opportunity to bless somebody who needs it. So, you know, kids, adults, don't come empty-handed next week. Let's celebrate and come joyfully. Come joyfully, as uh, as the psalms would even say, let's come. You know, joyfully into the house of the Lord with singing. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Well, while I have a lot of time, so I will definitely get us out of here on time this morning. We are continuing on in the book of Hebrews, and I've been enjoying this probably more than you. It's been a great time in study and and seeing a, a book that you're really, a, I didn't like to get into deeply. I love the passages in there, and it's a, it's a book that I'd like to go and quote Hebrews 4:12 and go into the faith chapter and look into these things, but other than that, there, it, it can get kind of deep and difficult. And so I've really enjoyed studying and getting into um, the background and, and trying to understand this book. It's been really good. To, uh, this morning we're going to be in Hebrews three: seven through 4:11. We're going to take off a whole other chapter this morning and go, what we did a few weeks ago, go through some of the, quite a few of the verses individually and talk about the, uh, the, a couple of the main points. The book of Hebrews is a book on theology, but it's much more than just theology. It's a book of warnings, but there's more than just warnings in there. It's a, it's a book with encouragement, but it's much more than just an encouraging letter. As we continue to see this week, the writer continues to reach into the past to give us examples, both good and bad, of, of what Israel did. Talking about them, bringing it forward to the present and then looking into the future to give us warnings and directions on how to live today. We've talked before here about having filters and, 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 and really trying to remove these filters. If you've grown up in a, in a real dogmatic overbearing, rule-based life of, in the church, you probably look at the book of Hebrews as just a whole bunch of bad stuff. God's going to, you know, get you. And, you know, don't drift away in warnings. But there's, the warnings are there as an encouragement. And he, uh, he doesn't just give us warnings in this book, but there's encouragement on how to avoid the things that, that he's warning us about. Um, and so we're going to talk about that this morning. Uh, we want to reach the prize, and that's what the final end of the book of Hebrews is. Continuing on, reaching the prize. Uh, we're, Like I said, we're at chapter 3 to 4, so we've still got eight or so weeks, and looking forward to getting to the end week, and I'll go, oh, thank you, Lord, there's a prize. Um, the theme of the section where this morning we're going to talk about is twofold. First, which is really second, is entering into his rest. Okay, the first part of this book, which is, is second, and as you read it, is entering into those rest. The second part, which is the first, and it builds up to the second. Rest cannot be entered into without faith. It cannot be entered into with unbelief, and it cannot be entered into without confidence in God. And so this section is chapter 3, 7 through four eleven, It lays it all on the line. It's a warning and an encouragement to us this morning. And Father, we pray that as we would go through here in this next 40 minutes, that you would just open our eyes and our understanding. Lord, I pray that we would be open to the Word of God to come and encourage us, to warn us, to even chastise, to correct us. And God, we pray that we would see you in this study this morning and see our lives and make that commitment to you to draw closer. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are a cell church. I hear that faint ringing. It reminded me to... Put my phone on vibrate. Some of you, if you have a really loud ring, definitely don't want it to ring in church. I've had those things. i had a pastor friend who... Had a strange ringtone on his phone. He had, he recorded his children saying "ring ring," and it was "ring ring ring ring," and it, it, and it was really funny when it went off in service. <laughs> so we'll put those on. Hey, let's. <laughs> it was annoying. Hebrews three seven. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear His voice, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop a lot today. The beginning of of Hebrews here, we're quoting Psalm 95. Psalm 95. And it's interesting, Psalm 95 is a psalm of David. But here it says, the Holy Spirit says and quotes the passage. You know, we breeze through these things easily. Simply put, God is confirming, the writer is confirming, that though David said it, it was inspired by God. The word of God, the Bible, is not man's words. It's God's. The Holy Spirit said through David. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me tried me and saw my works for 40 years therefore i was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways so i swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest the bible is god's word to us and these things are reminders to us this morning's message is is meant to challenge us to really question where are we how are we doing I believe that we need to make sure that we live faithfully to the Word of God, faithfully to His, to his paths. We have to be careful of not going astray and uh, laying up for ourselves teachers who will teach us the things that we just want to hear. And so this morning's encouragement is that we would grow on and be faithful. In verse 8, it says, Do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. We Hardening your hearts. He's going back to the Israelites. Do not harden your hearts like they did in the rebellion. We have to be careful today as Christians that we would be open to the things of God and not just bent on our own ways and our own things. We have to be careful that we wouldn't harden our hearts and that can come very, very slowly. Almost undetectable that you harden your heart over to the things of God. For 40 years... 40 years in the wilderness, the Bible says in this passage. You know, when, I, when I'm reading through this and I go, wow, they tested and tried me, in verse 9, and saw my works for 40 years. And think back of all the works that the, the children of Israel saw. They saw manna come down. They saw quail come down. They saw water come out of a rock. They saw the Red Sea you know, parted. Daily they were taken care of. They saw their clothes never wear out. Now, that would be an awesome thing for kids. I mean, come on. You know, I, I can't go three months without getting, you know, my kids getting holes in their jeans. And, uh, you know, Shannon's been spending a ton of time sewing patches. You know, girls can get away with that too, can't they? Little girls. She yeah. sews hearts on, on Madeline's knees. You know, and they look cute. I don't look good with hearts on my knees. But... But for 40 years, the clothes and the shoes didn't wear out. What an incredible miracle. God's provision for 40 years. But the people hardened their hearts. They saw His works, and they hardened their hearts. Verse 10. So this says, I was angry with that generation. They will always go astray in their heart. And you go, wow, that's a heavy statement. There is something about watching somebody's character for a long period of time. God gave mercy and grace for 40 years. And He said, they've had plenty of opportunity. They've had plenty of opportunity to turn their hearts to Me and to repent. But I see that they're a stiff-necked people. They've hardened their hearts. He was angry at them. It's a warning. This is a warning. Not that God will ever stop loving us, but there's a warning that God He pours out His grace and He pours out His grace. But there comes an end to that grace. And I believe the biggest end is if somebody dies in that position. We've got to you know we, we've got to be careful of the of, of that limit and not putting off and putting off and putting off. Say, I'll get right with God, I'll I'll get at things under control tomorrow. He says no. And he saw that they were stiff-necked people. Going down, it says, um, in verse 11, I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. And we're going to talk about that in just a few moments. Verse 12, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart. The word brethren here... The writer of Hebrews, we've, we've been talking about this, he's he's writing to Jewish Christians. So the brethren part is a twofold thing. He's talking, he calls them brethren because they're Jews. He's, so, so part of this is he's talking to the Jewish side of the, of the brethren. He's also talking to them as Christians, but he says, Beware lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. He just went through and quoted Psalm 95. For 40 years they watched God, but they didn't believe. They didn't believe. They had an evil heart of unbelief. Though they saw the miracles of God, they saw the provision of God, they truly didn't believe in it. They hardened their heart and they didn't accept it. I see Christians all the time and the danger in myself of doing the exact same thing. We serve God, we see His provision, we see His love, His blessings poured out upon us, and yet we don't trust Him. And we want to do our own things. We have to beware lest an evil heart of unbelief enters into us. God is good and His mercies are are faithful in our life and we can look back and see those things. How is it, church, that we can walk away so easily? Have you ever looked around and somebody who was serving God faithfully and saw the miracles and they just turned their back on Him and they go, how do you do that? Because they allowed an evil heart of unbelief. They downplayed the things of God and they begin to focus on the, their own desires and wishes. And that's what the Israelites did. They began to have their own plans. They wanted to see things the way they wanted. They got tired of manna in the desert, eating the same thing. And that's that's when they even cried out, "Give us some meat!" And what did God do? He says, "Oh, I'll give you meat." And it rained down quail so much that as they ate it, the quail was coming out of their noses. It's just disgusting. God's got a great sense of humor. That's something a parent would do, isn't it? You want that? <laughs> God's provision was all over them and they, and they got their eyes off of God and they wanted their own things. Tired of manna cakes and manna cotti and b- b- manna bread and all the manna jokes there is. <laughs> beware, brethren. Beware. Church, we need to beware. In the last days, People will raise for themselves teachers. We have to beware more and more of of the influence of the world and the influence of the church creeping in. There is a, a a section of the church that is not preaching the gospel anymore. They preach part of it, but they don't preach the whole gospel. We, and and it's, it used to be easy. I was having this conversation with someone the other day. You know, it used to kind of be easy because in the main things, denominational churches were pretty safe. And we, 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 we taught the Word of God. And we could maybe talk about a cult and say, you know, all together we could all stand and say the Jehovah's Witnesses is a cult. And we could tell you why. But now, through deceptive tactics, the enemy has come into what we would call... Solid churches, and swayed the doctrine off enough that that the whole gospel is not being presented, you know sin years ago i I heard a a preacher who I enjoy hearing some of the messages from, but my heart turned towards that person because not in anger, but said i can 't trust." the preaching of this person's word. And, and it's, in a, it's in a very large church that we'd all be familiar with when he sat on the Larry King show and was asked, well, what about sin? And he said, we really don't talk a lot about sin. We have a, a positive message. We want you to have, you know, a better life. This is a, a Christian preacher... And, and I, I know for a fact that many, a number of us, listen to this person on a weekly basis. Now, I'm not saying that everything he says is wrong, but the problem with laying, listening to teachers who don't teach the whole truth is it's a slow getting away from the gospel. And if they have a lot of truth and a lot of good things we like, not just that we like that are true, then when they start saying some of these other things, we buy that too. We've got to be careful. Beware, brethren, lest by an evil heart we fall into disobedience. It's a whole movement we've got to be very, very careful for. And and it's the post-modern, emergent thing where everything goes in the church. Beware. Beware. We don't hear that word enough preached. Beware. We want to be ready. And so verse 13 comes and it says, So beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. That part is so important. If your God cannot rescue you from your dangers, if your God cannot save you from sin, He's not alive. We serve a living God. Full of power. Verse 13, it says, "...but exhort one another daily while it is called today." Exhort one another daily while it is called today. What does that mean? It means all the time. It's always today. While we still have time, at all times, exhort one another daily. We don't do that either. By and large, we don't exhort one another. We want the pastor to exhort the congregation, but we don't want to exhort one another and we don't want to be exhorted. Well, some of us like to exhort other, but we don't want to be exhorted by one another. Right? And often we will say things when people, when we go to exhort, which is to challenge, correct, help, guide. It's, we say, you're judging me. And we've, we've put the stamp of you're judging me onto everything that, that somebody can't come up and say, hey, I'm concerned. How are you doing? Well, you're just judging me. But we hear it. But we need to get to the place where we can exhort one another. That doesn't mean condemn one another. It doesn't mean guess what they're doing. And th- It means challenge, help. If you know that a brother is caught in sin, the Bible says, you who are spiritual, go to them and restore them gently. And watching your own heart, lest you be Lest you be tempted. Exhortation needs to happen one to another. One of the big parts of our desire in life groups that set it apart, that should set it apart from just any regular small groups, is that that relationship is built and it's a place where you can exhort one another. And be exhorted and exhort. We need these relationships. Iron sharpens iron where we can help each other grow. And when somebody starts drifting away, we need to change. And I'm guilty of these things too. We need to change our our attitude that lets them go away. And we need to go and help to bring them back, exhort them and challenge them say, don't walk away from God. People, we want to isolate ourselves. When we start living in the sin, one of the first things we do is we try to isolate ourselves. We build up all these walls. And that's where those phrases come in. Don't judge me. Don't come in. Don't talk to me about my thing. I want to feel comfortable in my sin. We can't let people do that. Love one another the Bible says so everything we do this passage says exhort one another but we don't take this out and say okay that means I can only yell and be mean to people we have to follow the other it says love one another so you love one another so much that you exhort them when I lived in Guatemala we found that there was a real issue people did not like to tell people the truth if it was going to hurt them it made it really hard to plan a party. This is how deep it goes into the culture. If you say, I'm having a party, a birthday party, will you come? The answer is always yes. Always. Even if in that moment they know they're not coming. Oh. They say yes. I don't know how it works exactly, but I know it is true. So if there was something you... If the way they said it, I, I, I never quite figured out you had to guess... And interpret their answer to mean no. Well, why did they do that? They didn't want to hurt anyone. They didn't want to confront. They didn't want to say things negative. So because of that, the exhorting one another, that was all the pastor's job. And the pastor had all authority there. The pastor doesn't know what's happening in somebody's life. That's why we have relationships one with another. That's why we as a, as a church organize into life groups where we encourage and you get so tired of hearing and attend a life group because that's where life happens. That's, that's where you should be in case you're struggling and people know you well enough and go, you're off today. Can I, can I pray for you? Can I help you? We need to be in relationships like that. And we had a, a dear friend who, who was our housekeeper, Blanca, Blanco Rosa, who when we came after a furlough, she worked for us for a couple of years, and we came back, and and she she gave her notice of quitting, and she she made up some story of why, and she left, and we didn't we knew that there was something, but she wouldn't tell us, and and we started, so we had to start going asking everybody what happened while we were gone, and we actually determined a, a large part that the one of the ladies we left in charge of. Of the outreach center, she was German and she was a little harsh, and um, she was harsh with Bl- Blanca, and and she was harsh with some of the other people too, and so we had to find this thing out to deal with that, and there was a few other other issues that had happened to Blanca, and she, but she wouldn't tell us, and instead she just quit, and so I I was talking to her and trying to help her to see that it was important. Does she tell us why? And she says, no, I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to hurt you. And I said, if you went to knock on your friend's door and they had nails coming up through their patio or you know, into their walkway to their house, and every time people came up, they stepped on them and cut their feet, shouldn't you tell them? You know, you've got some nails that are popping up or do you just pretend it didn't happen and never say anything so that maybe a little child will walk up and really cut their feet badly. And she says, oh no, you, you can't do that. And so I helped her understand that it's important sometimes to exhort somebody and to tell them this is wrong, this is dangerous. We don't want to hurt people. We don't want to let people hurt themselves or their family. Exhort one another while it's Called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. What happens when somebody isolates themselves and walks away and they don't get exhorted and corrected? Slowly, they begin to build a new theology, a new belief system that says, I'm okay where I'm at. I'm okay where I'm at and now they're hardened their heart is hardened trying to reach a person like that is nearly impossible because they've built for themselves a protective theology that that says church is wrong and these things are wrong and i understand the bible better than anyone else and we on the outside you're thinking how are you possibly doing that because it's slow they built up a deceitfulness of sin sin comes in as deceit and it's often slow exhorting one another, challenging one another, being in relationship to help each other grow is so important. Why? Verse 14. For we have become partakers of Christ. Partakers. We are mixed with Christ. We're part of Christ. I, I read in, in one of my co- the commentaries a great picture of this and I, I will use it forever. And it was the picture... Of, of course, the, f- the first one is a, part- a partaker is something that's mixed. It's really bonded together. Um, the vine, the, the branches and the vine. Jesus is the vine. We're the branches. We know that. We're mixed together. We're connected. What a picture of mixed isn't is an oak tree and the ivy that grows around the oak tree. You look at it, and and Big Bear doesn't have it, but in other places where you've seen the ivy growing up around a tree, and you go, is that part of the tree? It's so intertwined that you almost don't even know. You look at it and you go, is that part of the tree? It's not. It derives its life from its own source. It's not mixed in. We can't live our Christian life separate from Christ, but wrapped around Him looking like we're part of Him. We have to get our source truly from Him. We are partakers. We are from Him, not just close to Him, not just in the church, looking like a Christian, having the the appearance, but lacking the power. The power comes from being rooted in God. So if we we have become partakers of Christ, then it says, these are the challenging scriptures. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. That's a, that's a big statement. We are partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. When you, when you go and read about the, the commentaries on this, boy, this is a hard one because just reading it, you go, if I don't hold the beginning of my confidence, I'm not a partaker of Christ. does not that what it says? Right? Remember the you know, kind of algebra, you make it the opposite and then you goes the other way. If we hold the beginning of our confidence, we have become partakers of Christ. If we don't hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, we have not become partakers of Christ. At face value, that means that there are people, and I believe this to be true, who confess Christ, who've never been changed by him. And those fall away. They're not steadfast to the end not because they lost their salvation, but but because they never had it. They never had it. We're looking for that steadfast. We're looking for that confidence. What is that? You know, so what is that? I I, I, I wrestled with this in my reading. Beginning of our confidence, steadfast to the end. So I I, I looked it up, and in the Greek, it's. Hupastasis. It doesn't really matter, but it means this. The first part means beneath. Hupo. It means beneath or under, and the next part simply means stand. And 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 if you know if you be a bad Greek student, if the first part means under, and the second one means stand. It means understand. No, that's not what it means, but it means firm stand. So so the the idea is that. Confidence with so this word means the thing that holds you underneath the foundation of your firm standing. That's confidence. There's something beneath you that is firm and solid, and that is holding you up where you stand. It's not wavy. It's a confidence. It's that moment that you say, "I know that I know, that I know." When you get saved and you get delivered from something and you look at somebody and they come up to you and you don't know the first thing about the Bible. But they go, how do you know that the Bible is true? You've been set free. You've had an encounter with the living God. It's not just an emotional, I feel good. Something radical has changed in your life. You can't explain it. And you say, I know that I know that I know. That's your confidence. Something in there that just declares it. And you have to keep that confidence steadfast to the end. We're finding this pattern already coming up in Hebrews 3 of looking at the past, not walking away in disbelief, but understanding, having that confidence all the way from the beginning to the end. Otherwise, we're going to drift away and be led apart in deceitfulness and sin. Think of a world where we lose confidence in other people. You talk about having confidence in God. Confidence in God and who He is. How important that is. And I thought, boy, are we confident in God? Are we hopeful in God? There's a huge difference. Huge difference. We... we, we, you know we misunderstand that hope when we even in the Bible, and that's not the text. That how oh, I hope it happens. You know, true hope is, is a confidence that it will happen. For those of you who I don't know, I saw you back there. Well, you know, in Spanish, um, how do you say wait? Esperate. Esperate. How do you say hope? <laughs> Espera. It's the same word. Wait and hope is the same thing in Spanish. So when you go out and wait for the bus, how do you know you're waiting, you're hoping? Because you really know it's coming. You're not just hoping. You're not going to walk to the, you know, you're not going to walk to the corner of of Malabar and Dutch or something in the middle of a block and hope for Marta to come and pick you up there. You're going to walk to the boulevard, to the place that they say they're coming, and you're going to hope the bus comes. There's a confidence that we need to have in God that's turned into a hope instead of a confidence. We have to keep a confidence. What would happen if we approached God that way, if we, the way we approach God sometimes of having more of a hope, if we did that in marriage? When you lay down at night and you thought of your spouse next to you and went, I hope she's faithful to me. You have a confidence that your spouse that day didn't run off and cheat on you. When you go and make a deposit in the bank, which few of us do anymore, and you go in and you make a, a deposit, especially if it's a large deposit. If you've ever had that, that chance, right? You, you know, you had a whole bunch of money came in or something. You went to the bank. It's kind of fun. You give them the check or, you know, money. or You don't go, boy, I hope this bank doesn't you know, steal my money. I hope it's okay. You have confidence in the bank. And then you have more confidence in the bank because there's a little sign on the bank that says FDIC insured. Because sometimes things happen. So there's a confidence you have with your business dealings. Why do people, when they sell a car privately and the guy goes, well, I don't know if I can pay, they go, well, tell you what, I'll keep the pink slip and, and you give me a little bit of money. You can have the car, but I'm going to keep the pink slip until you pay it off because you don't have confidence in that sale. So you're holding something back. We have to have confidence, steadfast To the end, otherwise, through disbelief, we're going to fall away into sin. And that proves that we've become a partaker of Christ. Verse 15. Today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For who, having heard, rebelled, verse 16. Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now, with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of their unbelief. Beginning to turn the corner now to the second part, or to the first part, which is the second. (laughs) Talking about unbelief. This is the underlying theme of why the children of Israel didn't enter in. Unbelief. We would say disobedience, and that's in here. Disobedience is a part, but where did the disobedience come? They were dragged away into unbelief. They truly got themselves to not believe in God. Not believe that He had their best interest in mind. Why do people go out, why do single people go out and date? finally date a non-Christian? They get to the point where they go, God doesn't have something good for me. I need to find something. And they don't believe God and stand fast. We need to be careful not to fall into disbelief because disbelief will end up in obedience. So we turn this corner talking about unbelief disobedience not holding confidence steadfast to the end why because there's a rest for the people of god there's a rest for the people of god that he wants us to experience he says but because they were unbelieving and disobedient the people the children of israel they didn't enter into the rest of god they didn't enter in because they missed it they fell short verse 4 chapter 4 verse 1 Therefore since all these things we just read since a promise remains of entering his rest let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it Let us fear When's the last time we heard that message in the church Let us fear We we talk about the good things love and hope why, is, why do we need to fear? Because we need to take it seriously. We need to take it seriously. We in, in prayer last night, some those who came to prayer got to hear the precursor of the message, so they're hearing it twice. We we're talking about some of these things. What is, what is that fear? Why, why should we, are we afraid of God who's going to come and smite us? That's not what it says. But it's talking about a rest that God has for us and there's a fear that we might not enter it. I want to enter the rest. Amen. I want to enter the rest, and in and, and this passage, there's, there's debate and, and truly we'll, we'll know when we get to heaven. I'm to go I, I, there's very few things that go, I absolutely know. Is that rest he's talking about heaven? Some people say that's what this, the passage is talking about. We know for sure that this passage the rest that he was promising Israel was not Canaan. We know that because David quoted 500 years after the, the, the Israelites went into Canaan or didn't get to go into the promised land. David quoted that again and he's talking to the people now. If you don't harden your hearts, you'll enter into the rest. Well, if the rest was already in Canaan, there is no more rest. But there's a future rest. There's a rest as believers we have to look forward to. He's writing to us, encouraging us again. It wasn't just going into the promised land there 's something for believers, and some say that's just heaven, that that's truly when that's the that's the rest and then there's those who say there's a, there's a rest here I really believe it's both. I believe our final rest is heaven that that until we get there until we stay steadfast to the end and strive and get to heaven, we won't truly have the rest that we desire. we live in a fallen world, and so I believe that that part is true, but I believe as we go on in the Scriptures and read a little bit more, that there is a rest that you, can't <coughs> that you can't enter into with God. A rest that is, as it says in just a moment, that you cease from works. God ceased from His works. Where we cease from our striving and our works trying to please God, and we get a proper understanding of who He is, and we enter into a rest of spirit and a confidence of who God is and who we are in Christ that is the best rest you'll ever have on this earth until finally the ultimate rest is fulfilled when we die. Or maybe we don't even get to die. You know, I'm looking at people who might in this, in this room, we might not have to die. We might just get to get taken up. And I'm like Mike Warnke. He says, you know, when the rapture comes and he comes to take me, I hope I'm standing around a couple of sinners. I can grab me each by the shirt collar just before I go. When I get up a couple thousand feet, ask that question. Do you want to meet Jesus now? Or should I let go? But we, you know, that time is coming when hope will finally be fulfilled and will be there with Him forever. But I believe God gives us an opportunity to have hope here. For fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. We don't want to come short of that of that rest we should be fearful of that in the good way we should judge our own salvation am I truly in the fold not be worried that I've lost my salvation I don't believe you can lose your salvation it's not something so flippant that you can lose your salvation but did you have it was your confession of faith at the beginning solid and real You know what's wonderful is if it wasn't, you can make it firm and solid and real today. There needs to be a fear. Was it true? Was I looking just to have a better day? Was I having problems with my kids and I thought God could help me out, so I accepted Him? Or was it a true understanding of falling onto Jesus as the only way in remission of our sins? That we are broken and hopeless. And help us without Him. We need to have that healthy respect and fear of the power of God. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. The people, the children of Israel, they heard the presentation, not, the, not of salvation like we hear today, because they truly couldn't have real salvation, but they saw the works of God in their lives, and they didn't mix it with faith. They didn't mix it with faith. There's a reason it's called faith and not just knowledge. There's times in our Christian life that it's just absolute faith. Oh, God, I can't see you today. I can't feel you today, but I know because my understanding, my girding, my confidence is in you. It's not based on sight, but I have faith. I'm going to mix the Word of God with faith. I'm going to wait. I'm not going to rush off and do the things outside of your plan for me. I want to be profitable. The word which they heard did not profit them; they died in the wilderness, because they didn't mix it with faith. Verse three: For we who have believed do enter that rest. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Just going to read a few a few verses together. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains that some enter it. And those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. He designates a certain day saying in David, Today, after such a long time, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. That's what I was talking about a moment ago. Joshua, if Joshua had given him rest, they wouldn't have continued. David wouldn't have said, hey, there's a time of rest coming. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. We're warned here, do not harden your hearts. Don't be led astray by unbelief. We are partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. We're warned that you cannot enter rest if you have disbelief. We're warned, don't come short of the rest. Church, it's possible to come short of the rest. We don't want to fall short. We have to mix faith with the Gospel in order to enter the rest. Faith, With the gospel. We have to be diligent to enter that rest. Otherwise you may fall according to the same example of disobedience. Rest comes from not falling short. From believing God steadfastly to the end. The Israelites followed God. And they saw his miracles for 40 years in the wilderness. But they had disbelief. They disobeyed. And they lacked a confidence with God. Remember the things that God has done in our midst. Don't harden your hearts. Let God soften it, remembering all the things that He's already done. Cease from our works, our striving in God and rest in Him, knowing that it's He who works, that He has such a good plan for us. That's the rest. beginning of the rest is finally when we understand, as Galatians 5 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Stand firm. Stand firm to the end. Persevere. We're going to continue on in the book of Hebrews, and there's chapters coming up. It just says, continue on in the race. Persevere. We're, we're in this place. We should never grow so comfortable that we think we're good. We're, we just think absolutely everything's okay. Always be looking, exhorting one another. Amen being steadfast, moving on, challenging each other. More and more, I believe, as we have that confidence in God. And, And I believe it comes in a depth of relationship, in a depth of knowing truly who God is, that the beginning of that rest comes along and we stop striving. What a great day that is. But truly, we look forward to the day where finally our rest will come. I want to say we're living in a generation that that is all about now. Find the rest now. Used to be you worked really hard all your life. And when you were 60, 70, 80, you got the motor motorhome and you rested from your work. And, and, and that's, that's, that's what happened. The older generation, they worked hard. They saved their money. And now they're beginning their physical rest. Well, well, we got to be careful church yet especially the younger side of this church. I don't know how it happened, but we think that we get the motor home at 23. And we start getting six week vacations. You know, if we allow that to come into our spiritual understanding, we can get shipwrecked in our faith. Because we're going to go, it's not supposed to be hard. Our hope is heaven. The goal is heaven. It's not just this thing that happens and finally, no more sin problems. We Remember when you got saved and, and you had that one sin and you thought, boy, you know, something was going to happen. That one sin was going to be gone. For a lot of you guys, that was the sin of lust. Before you got married and you went, when I get married, I'm never going to deal with lust again. Then you got married and you went, what happened? <laughs> and you never rested from it. Our rest doesn't come fully until heaven. He's going to give us rest along the way. Persevere. Be be with one another. Exhort one another. Watch your heart. Beware. Lest we fall short of it. It's coming, church. but, But don't be hoping in a rapture that will take us home in a year before it gets really bad. If all your hope is laid up that you're never going to have to suffer and the suffering comes, we're going to fall short. We're going to fall away. Our rest is coming. But it's going to take work to reach it. Diligence. Standing fast. Let's stand. Let's stand. See, the the book of Hebrews is a warning. And you go, oh, it's so bad. But the encouragement is, but it's going to be good. And we've got to get excited. We've got to see both sides of it. Father, I thank You so much for Your Word. It's true to the very end. God, I thank You for our journey that we're having through Hebrews. Lord, I thank you for what there was called these parenthetical warnings. God, these warnings given to us in these scriptures that say, stand fast, watch your heart of disbelief and disobedience, keep your confidence to the very end. Lord, we want to gird up, we want to be ready to walk this life. God, there are people in here right now who can't not walk this life. Lord, I pray that that believers around them would go and be their left and their right and they would help them walk and, and get healing so that they can continue on. Father, I pray that in love we would follow your words and we would exhort one another. That means that I need to be, if I'm going to exhort somebody, I need to be willing to be exhorted back. Help us to challenge and love one another. God, let us walk this life together. Lord, we don't want to come short of any rest that you would desire to give us here, and we definitely don't want to come short of the rest of heaven. God, we don't want to die in this desert seeing all of Your miracles all around us our whole life, but truly not being saved. If you're in this room today and, and you don't know or you've questioned, or you've never truly put your confidence in Christ, you've never said, God, I'm a sinner, I need to be forgiven, and You're the only way. I'm going to put all of my eggs in this one basket. I'm going to put it all on You. Then this morning would be a great time to simply, from your heart, From everything within you, say, God, forgive me. I can't reach heaven outside of you. I have sin in my life, and only your blood will forgive me of that sin. I don't want to watch the things of God around me my whole life and go to hell. Forgive my sin. Make me a new creation. Help me to follow steadfastly, following you, and not walk again in disobedience. If you truly, truly from your heart, believe that and say that as a prayer in conversation with God and then begin to follow after that, You won't fall short. But you can enter into that rest too. Lord, I thank you. God, I thank you for all of your miracles. Lord, help me to not drift away in disbelief. Let me accept the things that I've seen in the past and that I see today as your provision and your love and your mercy that I might continue to grow stronger. Help each one of us in this room Help one another and walk this Christian life as we love and encourage and exhort one another. God, we can't do any of this apart from You and Your Holy Spirit. So fill us afresh with Your Holy Spirit. Empower us, Lord. God, I look forward to our next celebration as we celebrate around a meal and in a fellowship with one another next Sunday. God, let, let everyone come and join in fellowship. Keep us safe this week and help us to be a witness to those around us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.